We are Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another very special edition of Weed Talk Now. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. And I'm Kurt Dalton, the founder of Cannabis.net. And we are so excited to welcome Terry Buell to our program to talk about journalism because this woman has been named one of the toughest journalists in the business when it comes to cannabis reporting. Terry, is that, are you happy with Smash Mouth journalism? Yeah, I think it's great. Josh Brown, if you guys know Josh Brown from CNBC, he, he came up with that tagline for me. And then I, I think I went, we, we trademarked it. So that's us. Well, congratulations on that. And um, your reputation uh, it certainly precedes you. I am very impressed with your resume and what you did back in uh, 2008 uh, specifically. And here we are in 2020. And it looks like you might have a, a certain very impressive, very old brand in cannabis uh, in your crosshairs. And that would be High Times. Uh, what is the latest right now on what's going on with high times since last week when the SEC said, you guys better stop your, 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 your wheelings and dealings for an IPO? Right, okay, well, let's, let's start back with the fact that high times still has never filed in the last year their required annual report. Right, this would be their cash flow, their balance sheet, it would be have an auditor audit their assets so that Main Street unsophisticated investors could know what they're investing in in real time. And so the SEC actually told them all the way back, it was on June 12th because they missed the deadline that they cannot accept investments anymore. You have to halt raising money. And Adam Levine didn't do that. I mean, he, he didn't file an SEC filing telling anyone that they needed to do that. And I found that alarming. And when we got a tip, we went and asked their lawyers and they said, yes, it's true. We can't accept investments. And I go, well, why haven't you informed anyone of that? And you know what they said? They said, the SEC doesn't make us do it. So we don't think we need to do it. <laughs> and my Is editor, Sean Hawking, and me, who's amazing at Cannabis Law Report, was like, Terry, you have to report this right now. I mean, th this is just a complete lack of transparency. And it's completely unfair for the Main Street investor trying to get into cannabis. In, in, in working on that reporting on that story, it took us a few days. And it, Adam's lawyers, um, you know, Stephen Weiss, they did answer questions, but it was a consistent spin that they were doing a soft pause on the IPO. And, you know, I, I called the SEC press office and they clearly explained, no, we're, we're going to, you have to, we're telling you that you have to stop. This isn't your choice. This isn't some you know, huge design plan that Adam Levine has come up with. And so I, I was getting once floored as I've seen Adam um, actually try to talk to Jeff Smith at MJ Biz and get him to tell a completely different side of the story. And, and that's just not okay for the chairman of a company who's trying to become public. Terry, let me take a step back. What was the first uh, moment where you raised an eyebrow or you first came onto this high time scent? What, what was the initial... Hmm, that's interesting. Like, what did we, we actually broke a story three weeks ago, um, and we, it was another tip. And we learned that the company had made a false statement in their SEC filings when they said that Stormy Simon was still their chairman. So the backstory is she probably called. She called and complained. 
and they had to file another what's called a 1U form. And then they finally admitted, oh, by the way, when she's left, she didn't stay on as chairman. So, so that was our first start. We're, so we're just like, what, what is happening here? And once again, High Times lawyers said, well, the SEC doesn't have a problem with this. So uh, the, ne the ne next tip came and said, Terry, call the SEC. I, I don't think that High Times is legally allowed to sell investments in its reggae offering. This reggae offering is what we call a mini IPO that they're trying to raise up to $50 million. And that's what we did. And your follow-up to that was on Harvest Health. Can you tell us about, a little bit about that deal and what you discovered? Okay, so after that news broke, we as, as always happens in investigative journalism, we got a lot more tips. <laughs> and we were suggested to try to look at the original merger agreement between a company called Have a Heart. These are dispensaries mainly through the state of Washington. There's two in California and there were two in Iowa. Uh, have Heart's parent company would be called Interurban Capital Group. And so it was in March that Harvest Health announced an $80 million buyout of that entire company. And then in um, the, like literally two months later, we see a, a letter of intent filed by High Times now and Harvest saying, okay, well, we're actually going to buy the California assets of Have a Heart. And why, why that was contradictory is that um, Harvest had just been on an investor call telling people you know, when an analyst asked, why are you doing this deal? They said, well, we want a stronger footprint in California. So it didn't make sense that two months later, they're getting rid of everything they just bought in California. So it, it took some work, but I got someone to leak me their private merger document. Um, and from there, I mean, we, we definitely have a lot of anonymous sources in this story, but we were able to talk to some of the original equity, social equity owners who would technically have, have you know, done all the work to go to their local cities in Oakland or San Francisco, or I think there's one in San Bernardino and secured, and there's not, I mean, these are not unlimited, right? Secured the social equity license so they could open a dispensary. And we found out that ever since this deal with, especially with Harvest and, and um, Interurban Group went down, nobody has paid rent. <laughs> <laughs> they just yeah, stopped paying rent on these dispensaries. Harvest just didn't the entire time that they're trying to sell these assets to Adam Levine, they just stopped paying rent. Now, why that's critical is that a lot of the California cities, these licenses, there's two stores that are open, so those are finally approved, but the other eight are not, right? And those licenses are contingent on one, you keep paying the rent, right? You help the local business owner. And number two, you have to show you're spending money on a build out. That means physically making the store, right? And it's got all kinds of regulations and standards that they have to do. If you stop doing that, We've seen other cities say, okay, you're not going to have this license. We're going to, we're going to go and put this out, you know, for a bid and someone else is going to get it. Can I ask a little bit about high time? Yeah, let me, let me just ask about high times and how desperate is this company right now? You know, they started in publishing, then they went over to the events. Events got completely, you know, ended when COVID came around and now they're going after what, a lot of people in this business want to do, which is that control that seed to sale, the vertical. They're trying to find verticals that they can buy into. But where is he getting 
the cash to do this? Is this all just monopoly money? Um, some of it, a lot of it is. But he has raised, at least his SEC, Adam says he's raised 20 million. His SEC filing says he's raised 15, okay? So he does have some cash, such as the deal with Harvest. He only had to put down 1.5 million and then give him $60 million in stock for what I believe is just worthless assets right now because they didn't take care of the assets. Um, so here's a story I always heard, and, and this is me speculating some. Adam, who is, is a VC, he's been with other companies that have gone public before, even though those definitely did not work out, like I think it was Bebo or Bido. Um, he saw a, a cheap, or he thought it was cheap, and he ended up paying way too much for it. He, he saw a cannabis company he could buy an IPO. That's all he thought about in 2017. And it didn't matter to him if he overpaid for it. Um, he just thought, all I have to do is get stock, get my discounted stock, and get myself to NASDAQ. Well, guess what? NASDAQ wouldn't let him list. And he couldn't get enough, you need a certain amount of shareholders to be listed on NASDAQ. He couldn't pull that off. So he had to go to plan B, which is try to list through a mini IPO, gathering money. I think it's uh, the minimum investment is $550 from Main Street. From your average guy, he's going to go and buy your cannabis flower in a store and is excited about um, all these new opportunities in the business and wants to be a part of, of this movement, right? Except he can't do it. He's been doing this for two years. I wrote about reggae offerings. like uh, So before they started, a company called a Growth Capitalist Investor. So we, we wrote about the legislation. We watched every new IPO happen. We watched every money um, get raised in things like electric cars. And it's hard to raise 50 million. No one has raised 50 million yet, I think. So I think his goal was unrealistic also. Like actually 15 or 20 million raised from a group of Main Street investors, that's actually a, a considered a good rate gay offering. So he's been buying and buying, buying, right? With his, with his like shares. Okay, these are like preferred shares. Keep in mind that he calls these the good shares while your average investor in the reggae offering gets the bad shares. So he gives the good <laughs> shares to, you know, mom, mom and pop startup companies that want their exit strategy. They want to get out, but we have no idea if those shares are ever going to trade. Do you think they will? That was my next question. Do you think there'll ever be a tradable share? Cause uh, giving them away like their monopoly money, was that ever really in his plan? I, I've... Yes, I think he does plan to list. So it's, it's not too hard to get listed on the OTC markets, unfortunately. He has to have a certain, he really, I mean, the, I think it's the OTC QB. Um, there's even one level below that, which he could try to list on. Uh, you know, it doesn't get as much coverage. Investors don't trust it as much, but he can list. He, he has enough shareholders to list right now. This to me is more of, more of a game that he wants to get as many you know, unsophisticated investors in as he can right now before he actually has to file a 2019 annual audited report. Because I think when we see that, Kurt, as you've talked about before, the amount of debt that is going to be on there, the complete lack of cash flow is going to be alarming. And I think someone would rather go outside and burn their dollar bills with their joint than invest in high times. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, I've talked to High Times uh, about their original offering was as a events company, and now it's transitioned to 
a plant touching company and I brought up it, the conversation with them when I had it, is there some sort of refund or give back policy because they investors who did the first six or eight months were pitched A and that was a completely looking different company. And maybe someone in Texas says, oh, I don't want to be touching the plant right now. Um, and they were going to have so to look at all reggae offerings. I looked at that language. Unfortunately, no, they have the leeway as most of them do to do whatever they want with your money. And I did speak with actually two investors last week after they read my story, they wanted to get out and they showed me the emails they sent and the response from high times investor relations. And it said, no, your, your investment's gone through. We're not giving you your money back. Uh, but Hey, guess what? We'll have our financials filed by September 30th and we'll definitely list by the fourth quarter. Now, this is probably the third or fourth time these investors have heard this. Though. I would think that they're losing their patience. Um, yeah. Uh, Terry, let me ask you a question about the industry itself. There are a lot of multi-state operators out there that are using uh, social equity applicants as, I don't want to call the, use the word tools, but as figureheads. And isn't this another thing that High Times is trying to accomplish here? So that, but that would be more go back to, uh, to interurban group and right. have a heart who got the license in the first place. Now, the social equity owners I interviewed, no, they want to run a business. They, they, they want, they, they did put them on as, as CEOs, but they are very involved and, um, and ready to step in and do their job. They were just happy that someone else came along with the rest of the money to help do the build out and move forward. Now they're, they're hoping, they're hoping for a real business. And I, I, I think they just lost it. And the risk right. is that this license is going to go back to the city, like with Oakland or with what's happening with Alexis. Uh, he, he was the gentleman who had the Union Square store, if you've seen his name in a lot of articles, because he is the one person who's gone on the record and spoken out. You know, that was an incredible location. I learned it took them two years to get zoning for that. They had to fight Chanel because they didn't want a cannabis store um, on Gary Street. And... I think, you know, that, that license is going to go back to the city and he gets to reapply. Can I talk a little bit about valuations of, oh, can we talk a little bit about valuations of companies? Valuations to me is, is a, a, a lot of made up. How are they valuing each one of these companies that they're going after or trying to make deals with it? It always seems to be um, almost like, Let's pick this number. Let's pick that number. How do they come up with the value for the company when they get involved with that? So I tried to get Harvest and High Times to admit that. Um, I was able to actually get what's called a capitalization table. I have a copy mm -hmm. of what a man named uh, Dan Rainier, he's really, he's really the, the majority owner. He was the one who negotiated the deal for Have a Heart with Harvest. And it really just looked like they made up a value. Um, okay, so let's take a look. Inner, inner urban group, right? They did have $4 million in cash. And they were profitable. They had a net profit. It was either 3 or $4 million, Okay. That okay. was it. <laughs> then they, so, had, they had five locations. Two, hold on. Five locations in Washington, two in California, two in Iowa, so nine working locations, right? I mean, maybe yeah. what, you throw a million on for each of those, I, maybe five million, we're, we're still not getting anywhere near $80 million. 
To me, this right. was like, let's just throw an enormous amount of stock at this. And then we can somehow verify that we're going to get to this number. And I think that's wrong. Kurt, you've been talking about that on pretty much every show. Whenever we bring up high times, it's just like stock here, stock there, right? Cash flow. If it was $80 million and their cash flow was $4 million, that's like 20 times. What were you like? Right. I don't, I don't know too many industries you can do that with, by the way. Yeah. Maybe Zoom. Is it so we're on right now? Maybe Zoom technology during COVID got that. That's about right. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me ask There's you. There's something else important, though. I want to say in, in the research. I thought at first I thought maybe Adam just didn't want to spend the money because we have no idea how much money he really has right now, and didn't do the due diligence to understand that a lot of these California licenses he was buying from Harvest you know, are not operational. If you don't pay the rent, you could lose the license. And for like the stores and you could, this is like in the SEC filings and it's in the uh, private merger agreement I got. The one Oakland store that is working, by the way, there's another individual named Josh Chase who owns 51% of that. And the merger documents say he doesn't have to sell. He didn't sell. I mean, he's in control of that store. So I, I don't know what Adam might get a, piece, a smaller piece of the equity, okay? But I, I don't think he's going to get a management contract, which is really the, the other business model um, that they have set up here. So, and I think, I think he knew that before June 23rd when they closed that deal based on my interviews. I think he knew full well he wasn't getting very much, not $60 million worth as he put on his press release. What does this look like? What's your prediction six months from now, nine months? What is high times? Is it trading on a much lower uh, exchange? Do they get there? What, what's your prediction in a crystal ball? 12 months? I, I think if they try to really list at the end of the quarter, they're going to try to come out at a dollar. It's going to go down to, let's say, 25 cents. Everyone's going to try to flood and get out of that stock. Then they're going to have a bunch of worthless stock and a ton of debt for all these companies that they're going to try to be, um, they're trying to buy or said, said they have a letter of intent. And then they're going to get sued. And maybe <laughs> the SEC will start to investigate because of the complete lack of disclosure on this deal. This is why investing in a law firm is probably the safest investment in the cannabis industry these days. At least I've been saying that because there's always going to be lawsuits. And it seems that the cannabis industry is starting to to kind of pile up more and more of these cases of mismanagement, um, fiscal irresponsibility. And they never do any due diligence. They don't do any background checks and they're just kind of making up figures. And at some point, doesn't the... But they, yep. they just pretend like everything's fine and it's not. And that's, that's even more worrisome. Does this all Harvest, change? Yeah, hold on. High Times Harvest and Have a Heart have already been sued. They were recently sued right. by the Iowa landlord in New York State. And it's quite possible that Thor Equities, who has the mega $200,000 a month lease that's been broken in Union Square is going to sue too. Speaking of legal, has High Times or any of their lawyers reached out to yourself, your editor, and put pressure on you to retract or take down? Even before, before the reporting started, when I was simply asking questions about, I don't understand why you're not disclosing more about the fact that you've had to halt your IPO. And it reminded me, and, and then couldn't get a straight answer if they were actually still 
um, collecting, you know, investments, like finalizing investments. And so they are allowed to still market, which is kind of alarming, but they can still, uh, you know, send out marketing materials and tell people about the offer. What they can't do is collect the investment. So, you know, I said this reminded me of a company called Medex. It was one of the, the first cannabis companies. They sold pesticide and they had some website or some newsletter that went public at least like two years ago. And the SEC did halt them because they didn't file their financials on time and they were still collecting investments. So I times was furious that I was going to even compare them to that situation. They had a lawyer um, out of California, send me a cease and desist before we'd even published. I talked it over with my editor and he said, that's ridiculous. Uh, we stand by all re our reporting and we went forward with that. We found out since so many publications followed our story and used the same language as High Time Test to halt the IPO, Adam personally was on the phone with other editors and other owners of other businesses threatening them. <laughs> and unfortunately, some, some, some of them did change their headlines and remove their stories, but he also had his lawyers trying to once again send out letters, you know, trying to stop free and accurate speech. You feel that sounds familiar. Um, other I don't ever take down a story ever. <laughs> right. I've been here before, you know, I, right. there, there's two different cannabis players who are, have tried to sue me in the past. They're always dropped. They just want to try to get through discovery and they always drop the case with prejudice eventually. If I report something, we stand by it. Nice. Um, I, I, you brought up so many things. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with things I, I can talk to you about. But it, at some point, if we see federal legalization in 2021, 22, 23, whenever it happens, and there's going to be more people trying to get into the now legal cannabis industry and take other companies public, the first ones in aren't exactly setting a great example, are they? No, but here's the thing. And if you talk to, there's, there's a lawyer in the cannabis space. He was at a big law firm. Now he's at Hiller. His name is David Feldman. He's an amazing securities attorney. He wrote the first book on uh, reggae offerings. And he, he educated me on this. We, do, we, need, we need federal approval. That way, NASDAQ and the NYSE will accept these offerings. And when they do that, then they have you know, at least 50% more restrictions and accountability because they would be fully reporting SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission companies. Unlike almost every company we see goes to list on the Canadian Stock Exchange, which is the most loosey-goosey exchange I've ever seen in my life. They just want to collect listing fees. And at that exchange, you actually don't even, when you do a merger deal, they, they got a law passed two years ago where you don't even have to disclose all of the individuals or the hedge funds or the family funds that are in on the merger deal that would get stuck. They're, they said that's a, a privacy violation in Canada. I'm just like, what? So everyone right now is on the CSE. The CSE is even easier than the Toronto Stock Exchange. So we, it, I think that um, we would have a lot better uh, mature companies with better lawyers bringing them public, better auditors auditing their financial statements, and they have to do uh, audited quarterly reports. Let's, so let's who do we blame? We, we, <laughs> Go ahead, Kurt. We've come out of Go the ahead, Kurt. 
if you were put in charge of high times and had to turn this thing around and make it a positive result, what could he do? What could he, what immediately could he pivot? What could he, what would you do if you were Adam and wanted to turn this thing into a positive result for people? Ethically, I would give back all the main street investors money. Then I would go out and I would try to cancel all of my, he has way too many deals that he's, he's got out there. I would take, uh, the one or two dispensary companies that actually have a valid license and have most of their physical buildings built out. And I would try to make those two businesses run and I would keep the company private and I would try to raise money through institutions or family offices. Wow. And then I would go and do a regular IPO. Once I'd proven I have a real business and not about a letter of intents and maybe ideas. I think um, when I had done that interview with Stormy when she was CEO, I always thought one of their advantages compared to say, I know Tommy and uh, Cheech Marin are going to get into the dispensary. We had men, men, something they can pitch is like, we have those high times cup winners, right? So if you wanted to try the best shatter, or you wanted that special blue dream and they could put a certain amount at every one of their dispensaries, that's a real hook for, for that would be amazing. right? I want to try the winner. And I, I thought she was going that direction. And that's actually something that would make a difference in say, dispensary A, B, and C. Like, oh, cool. Shatter from this year's winner. I can go buy it at a um, high times dispensary as opposed to somewhere else. Which would be amazing, but that's going to need capital, Kurt, right? And I, yeah, they would have to raise that to, to execute that business plan. What, one of the things you brought up was what is Adam's net worth? How, how, how can you find out what a private person has for net worth in order to find out, is that where he's getting his money or how much money does this guy really have? Can you get at his taxes? Well, I wish, I don't believe I could ever get a straight answer out of Adam. So if I asked him directly, I don't think he would tell me the truth, unfortunately. No, no, um, I don't think I, I have no, but, but he does have, he has a proven track record of using stock, using um, marketing and promotional campaigns to allow that stock to grow or create a perception in the market and then selling the business at an advantage to him while the new buyers are left with not very much. Wow. Now, that's not illegal, okay, right? I mean, th that, that is capitalism at its finest, right? But I, I, have, I have no idea. I know the last interview he did in December, which is ironic, he went, he's got some vacation home with, it's a half-brother or a step-brother. So they're, they're off living in Puerto Rico right now. Uh, well, you know, nice. has what zero income tax or something, right? I mean, it's right. just the tax advantage you could get if you still want to pretend to be a United States citizen. If you were in Vegas right now and making odds for a year out, is it more probable Adam is facing serious scrutiny and jail time or he walks away from this scot free? Oh, he, I think he walks away scot free, except for the civil lawsuits that, that, he, that are going to happen. Is the cannabis is the cannabis industry uh, as it is right now? Um, are we going to see improvements in their business practices if this goes legal, or are we going to still see more shady deals like we've been seeing over the first few years? I think that with any startup business, it's just going through growing pains. So that that's going to take <laughs> that's going to take the market holding them accountable. And you do that by not buying their stock and not investing in their company if they don't give you transparent financials and information and don't answer investors' questions and allow you 
to check their backgrounds, right? Doesn't the city, I think most, all these cities check their backgrounds before they give a license, right? Even though that's a private transaction. Why can't investors see that information? It's the host, it's the host security agreements in so many states that, that takes up all that capital up front. It's why uh, people that have been most affected on the war on drugs can't get into this business because they can't afford the upfront rent costs just to secure a location before they can even go and get their license. Isn't it the government? No, they, they need the, Wall Street money right now. That's true. Right. Or, or angel they, investors. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think we were, I think, Kurt, we were talking to Bruce about this, Bruce Barcott from Leafly last night. Isn't there, Will there be a fund available through private investors that the social equity applicants can get their hands on in some capacity just to get them started? And by the way, if I had the money, I'd give it to them. But I don't have that money. I don't know who does. That's a good question. I, I haven't seen a fund like that. They could be out there, but this is private. Um, it, one hasn't come off my radar. I wouldn't be surprised if they start, though. I mean, the market's going to happen. It's going to grow. What are the estimates in like mega billions, right? Double digit? Right. Is it triple digit billions sometimes? That is all going to happen. <laughs> right. So it, it just, it, I think there just has to be a shakeout of uh, good quality uh, funds and high net worth individuals trying to help uh, cannabis entrepreneurs get started and we can have a cleaner market. There you go. Terry, how can people contact you? What, like, how, what's the best way if they see this video, like you said, on, a, on whether it's live or whether it's later and they want to get quotes or learn more about what you're doing? What's the best way to reach you? Social media? Yeah, they should always go to Cannabis Law Report. My name and my face are right there in the center if they want to read my reporting. Then they can find me on Buell, B-U-H-L, Reports. That's my Twitter handle. And as I also have my own publication, terrybuell.com. Uh, which covers stock fraud or Wall Street fraud in any industry. And I always take anonymous tips at Terry Buell at Gmail. That's T-E-R-I-B-U-H-L at Gmail. Well, we're putting that up on the screen and, and I did that due diligence on you. And that's what earned you the respect uh, that I have for you. Uh, once I found out what you've been up to as a journalist, it's going to take people like you to really make a difference and get this industry kind of buttoned up the way it needs to be because of the opportunities, not just for greed in America and capitalism, but really to make the kind of change that this industry has an obligation to make. Do you think that the cannabis industry has this? Reporting, Jimmy, and you're right, which, you know, I, I saw the stories coming out you know, and this is why I was so glad to meet this Australian, Sean Hawking, who owns Cannabis Law Report. He had worked at other large publications before and was just tired of the, the fluff stories to kowtow to advertisers or anyone who was afraid to do investigative reporting, right? Um, right. I mean, a lot of companies, you, you do have to have a lot of liability insurance or make sure that, um, I, I don't know, you, you could handle a lawsuit, right? So right. a lot of journalists um, aren't set up that way, and then that's a shame. But there are larger publications like Bloomberg, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Forbes. I mean, they could be assigning, and, and Barron's actually has, uh, since Bill Albert's been covering uh, cannabis deals, and he's done a great job at Barron's. Uh, we, we, just, we need more larger companies who have that backing, right, 
to be able to mm -hmm. handle losing an advertiser or getting sued to go up against these companies right now. That's why I thought it was such a great place to switch, uh, to switch into and start covering in the last year because there's so much fraud. There's so much to report. I love there it. There you go. Hey, it, you're doing a great job, and I'm glad I am no longer a journalist. I am very happy being a talk show host. I want to make sure people understand that there is a difference when you talk about this subject as opposed to going out and doing all the work that you're doing, Terry. So I do uh, commend you for your work ethic on that, and I, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. I really appreciate you taking the time out and enlightening not just me and Kurt, but our audience as well. And we will certainly find you online at the Cannabis Law Report and continue to uh, really enjoy your work because that is probably one of the most, the best compliments you can give a journalist is, you know, I really enjoy your work. And we do, Terry. So uh, keep it up. Keep, keep it up. For Kurt Dalton from Cannabis.net, I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly and keep it in the bank, people. Keep your money in the bank for now. Don't be throwing it around at some of these speculative opportunities. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.